0: Hey everyone, welcome to another edition of Sports with Friends. My name is Seth Everett and we're so glad that you have been downloading and subscribing and we promise we're going to entertain you today. Uh, Last week we had a great time with David Sampson, the week before that Peter Boddy. Uh, We have been focusing on a lot of things current right now, you know, the pandemic and what has been going on in sports and I thought we could take a little bit of a break. I think we need to exhale and hear a really inspiring story about a, a, a lady who was one of the pioneering people in sports journalism. You know, I've been a very big proponent of female journalism. Uh, female journalists, we've had them on this show dozens of times. I mean, dozens of times. I've had male and female co workers. And in the sports industry, uh, that's not always a given, it wasn't always assumed. And I remember when. I hired someone to be a, a Seattle Mariners reporter. Uh, she became the first woman radio reporter. And I was like, wow, I didn't, I didn't even know that. I didn't, I didn't even think that was something that was possible. Diane Shaw is a sports writer. She's an accomplished author as well. Uh, and she's been a sports writer since the 60s. She's also done news pieces. She's interviewed some of the most famous people in the world and has put a lot into it. And she has a really, really cool book, uh, going on right now uh, called A Farewell to Arms, Legs, and Jockstraps. Please welcome to Sports with Friends, the great Diane Shaw. Diane, thank you so much for finally doing this. This has been months in the making. <laughs> yes, it has. <laughs> well, do you want to tell the mix-up? Do you, do you want to tell the mix-up how we, we, we literally, I got an email that you were available to come on the podcast and that you had covered minor league baseball. And we were doing an expose on minor league baseball and how all these minor leaguers were getting let go and released. <laughs> and Diane's like, "I don't know anything about minor league." Baseball.
1: <laughs> I don't think I ever wrote about minor league baseball. <laughs> <laughs> no, you
0: didn't. You didn't. But you did write about uh, an absolute lot lot of things. And you've written books before, but this is kind of a, a memoir, sort of speak. How did you come to the point of where you said, "You know what? This is." This is a time in my career where it's about time to kind of encapsulate the whole thing.
1: First of all, I just want to say that I I wasn't writing in the '60s. You've you've backed me up a little. I started in the '70s. Okay, I'm sorry. Big deal. Big deal. <laughs> big deal. Um, okay. I never really thought about writing a memoir, um, but I began to tell stories to friends over dinner. And people seem to really like my stories. And a few, there was a, a point a few years ago when two or three men that I knew well said, You should write a memoir. And I thought about it. I wasn't sure how to do it. And I started, I wrote a few chapters. I showed it to a couple of editor friends. And they said, No, 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 no. You're not in here. You're just writing about. Mickey Mantle, Reggie Jackson, other people like that. Well, that's, Where when, are you? that's why I
0: missed up 60s, because you have referenced Mickey Mantle twice.
1: <laughs> that's right. Yeah, you're right. Um, but I, my idea was to be the fly on the wall. And they said, no, 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 no. You have to be in, this, in these stories. So I started over again, and I, I realized they were probably right. And another editor said to me, well... There's nothing else, you gotta put a little bit about yourself in here. And I said, but I'm not interesting. It's my stories that are interesting. He said, no, 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 you've got to. So I'm gonna give you one example that I put in the book. It's one of my favorite little personal stories. I had just moved to Los Angeles to be the sports columnist for the Los Angeles Herald Examiner. I didn't really know anybody. It was summer. I was feeling kind of lonely it was a Saturday night. I decided to cheer myself up. I was going to go get a big ice cream cone. (laughs) The hell with the calories, right? So I drove to 31 Flavors. It was about maybe nine o'clock. I walk in and there are two people at the far end of the store, a man and a woman, and I didn't pay any attention to them. I, I stepped up to the counter. I said, I want a very large cone. I want two scoops of chocolate ice cream. <laughs> and as I was paying for it, the man and the woman from the back of the store walked by me and the man looked at me and he said, you eat that, you're going to get fat. Ooh. And he kept walking. Huh. And I realized it was huh. the governor of California, Jerry Brown. Oh, no. Welcome to Los Angeles. <laughs> wow. Ugh.
0: That's awful. Oh, my God, that story took such a bad turn. <laughs> well, and you, you your, your, your primary jobs were, were you a beat reporter, a columnist, feature writer? What was, or, or did you do all three? Were you ever on a, on a day in, day out beat? Or were you always doing feature stuff? Go in a little bit more detail.
1: I, when I got hired by the uh, Los Angeles Herald Examiner, it was to be a columnist, three columns a week. That gave me the latitude to write about anything I wanted.
0: And you could write about anything, sports, news, politics, entertainment.
1: No, no, sports.
0: Okay. Totally sports. sports. Got it.
1: Um, And the, and this was the eighties. And it was a very good time to be in LA because there was always one team, the Dodgers or the Raiders or, uh, the Lakers would be in the finals. And so Mm. um, I got to go to a a lot of NBA finals, Super Bowls, um, World Series. I went to Olympics. I went to everything I wanted to, but it was all sports, yes.
0: And they gave you carte blanche, like you could figure out, you could choose whatever you wanted to to do. uh, You wrote about, did you have, did you have freedoms that probably people today don't have?
1: Not, not freedoms that come from the editors. Um, I felt, looking back, that I was very lucky to be writing when I did. Because back then, in the late 70s, the 80s, even into the 90s, athletes were available. Mm. You could, I could, get to Dodger Stadium a couple hours before a game, walk in the locker room, talk to various players. All the players were in the locker room getting dressed for the game. After the game, I could also walk in and there'll be the players talking to them. Um, that doesn't really exist anymore. If you walk into a Lakers locker room, for instance, there, there won't be anybody there except maybe another reporter or two. The athletes the, the trainers' themselves. rooms are
0: so big and, and, and there's all these other places where there's no media allowed.
1: Yeah. And the other problem that I didn't have uh, is social media athletes almost don't need sports writers anymore. They can say what they want to say on their own. So I think it would be very difficult. Well, if I were, if I were doing this today, I would figure out how to do it. But um, I think you miss getting to really know some of these players. Um, and I was able to spend a lot of time with them and, and get to see them, get to, to see what they were really like.
0: How did you go about commanding their respect? Because I would imagine there's not a lot of women run around, and I would imagine most players, this is just my imagination from my you know, years covering sports, that most players are pretty good and pretty nice and pretty friendly. And then there's always a couple that are just total jerks. Is that, is that a fair assessment of what a typical clubhouse experience would be back then?
1: It was, in my experience, to my surprise, actually, uh, early on, there were three baseball players, I don't remember who they were, who wouldn't talk to me, they would just turn on their heel and walk away.
0: Because you're a woman?
1: No, 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 that's what one would assume, oh, correct? Oh, okay. It turns out these three didn't talk to any reporters. And so one of the lessons I learned was really not to take much personally. Um, and... I think to win their respect, first of all, I was a columnist. And when you're a columnist in, in a big city like Los Angeles, everybody kind of knows who you are.
0: Mm.
1: Everybody kind of reads you. And if my columns were uh, good enough, accurate enough, and, and the player said, okay, she does know what she's talking about, I think that helped.
0: There's no shortage of action going on with our exclusive partners at betonline.ag. Sports are slowly making its way back. MLB and now NBA join UFC, boxing, NASCAR, and soccer. BetOnline has all the best odds and lines for the upcoming games and matches. Need more? BetOnline has simulated NFL, NBA, and UFC happening every day live for you to check out. Looking for something else other than sports? BetOnline also has hundreds of live casino games, poker tournaments, and all the best props in the business. Visit betonline.ag or use your mobile device. And join now to receive your new welcome bonus and start playing today. Bet online, your online wagering experts. Visit betonline.ag and don't forget that promo code podcast one. That's P O D C A S T O N E for your sign-up bonus. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. We'll get back to sports with friends in just a moment, but first, did you know that I have another podcast that I do? It's like sports with friends, but it's a little different. It's about the superhero sci-fi universe i have been a fan of comic books animation movies and when i started the hall of justice podcast we wanted to do it for adults why did i name it the hall of justice because if you're old enough to know what the hall of justice is you're our demographic the idea of the show is to take the same passion that fans have for sports but to bring it to the superhero genre We have movie reviews where we spoil the movies. Don't worry, we warn you so that you can see it first. We also have celebrity guests where we interview actors, voice actors. The Hall of Justice podcast comes out every Thursday, wherever you get your podcasts. Was there a sport that you had a particular affinity for that you liked more than another? Um, Did you, for example, choose to cover Lakers games in the winter, but then in the, you know, but was the NFL something that you were into? Like, what was your, what did you feel a like connection to?
1: Most of my life, I, baseball had been my favorite sport, but when I started writing about football, that became my favorite sport. One of the mm. reasons was to my surprise, I found that football players were smarter and funnier than other athletes.
0: Great, uh, and
1: I, I had the Raiders, who left Oakland and were in Los Angeles, and they were they were really fun. Um, there you was a player, to Todd Christensen.
0: Sure, sure. I would
1: interview Todd Christensen. His parents, I think, were both English teachers. After my interview with Todd, I would have to go back to the office and look up at least six words he had thrown at me that I'd never heard of before. Um, they were funny, and I found them pretty easy to deal with these big bad Raiders. So I became, and, and I love the sport.
0: Mm.
1: So that's still number one.
0: And then um, who are some of the players that are like, when I say relationships, I'm not going in a dark path here. <laughs> I'm, I'm keeping it clean for now. Um, and an emphasis for now. Uh, Got to keep the listeners wondering. Um, were there players that you developed relationships with that persevered their time on the field? Were there people, because you know, when I was reading the bios, you've interviewed everybody, but were there people that stuck out to you? And people that to you were people that 10 years later you could call on them, or when they had long retired, if you needed a quote from an old player, they were somebody you could reach out to. Were there specific players that you covered? Over the years, you developed a closeness. That's why I'm using the word relationship a closeness, a friendship, a
1: camaraderie? Um, (coughs) Excuse me. There's one player I can think of. um, Mike Haynes. He was a cornerback.
0: Yeah, sure. And went into the Hall of
1: Fame. Mm -hmm. And after he retired, he was hired by the NFL to work out of their New York office. So Mm -hmm. we kept in touch. Occasionally we'd get together. Um, I really did not I had good relationships with most of the players. But once I stopped writing sports, I really didn't need them anymore. And I had never developed a real outside-the-locker-room friendship with any of them. And I'm not sure that that's unusual. I don't know. Um, So I can't help you with that.
0: What about the uh the locker room experience you've referenced the locker room and you know in this pandemic nobody's going in locker rooms anytime soon <laughs> and i was joking with a couple of reporter buddies of mine because they're like uh, hey training camp's starting in the nfl i wonder if we're going to get one-on-ones I said, what are you no. out of your mind you're going to be on zooms like the rest of us like it's it, it's it's you're that's all you're doing i mean it's not going to happen but you mentioned the locker room and there is a there is that side of it i mean were you ever uncomfortable in the locker room? And did any players make you uncomfortable in the locker room?
1: I was always a little uncomfortable in the locker room. Um, and by the way, I was surprised to learn that a number of male sports writers are also uncomfortable sure. in the locker room. It's kind of a weird place to be.
0: It is a very weird place to be.
1: And <clears throat> when I was trying to get into the Raiders locker room originally, they didn't want me to go in there. And when I was trying to deal with the Angels manager, Gene Mock, who didn't want me in his office, nice. I came up with this line that I used. And I said, look, I know this is weird. My mother did not raise me to do business with naked men. But here I am. It's my job. And if they're really, really, really mean to me, I'll cry and I'll never come back. And they, and that usually did it. They said, OK. Kind
0: of mock the whole thing.
1: <laughs> um, it. The Raiders, again, I keep going back to the Raiders and I'm forgetting the name of this player, but one year there was a rookie and um, he was having a pretty good year and I liked talking to him. I don't know why. So I would go up to him after a game and he would be sitting on a stool, totally naked with his legs kind of open and I was just asking my questions (laughs) and every single time another player came over, threw a towel on him and said, Dude, what you, you know, doing? keep this on you. So, in a way, I think they were looking out for me. Um, another time, I had hurt my leg. And after a Raiders game, I went up to the team doctor mm. and I said, Could you look at me? <laughs> he takes me into the trainer's room, has me lying down, pokes around a little bit, and says, Come to my office tomorrow morning. So I did. He decided I had a herniated disc in my back.
0: Oh, my goodness.
1: So I go, and he took an x-ray of it. I go home, and two Raiders called me that morning. What, what's wrong with you? <laughs> what Why happened to
0: you? Why were you in the prayers to... room? Why were you in the <laughs> Yeah. Right.
1: And I, t- I said, you know, I, I hurt my back, and Dr. So-and-so said I was going to need surgery. And the first guy, Henry Lawrence, he was a lineman. He said, no, 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 no. First of all, he's a quack. Second of all, (laughs) if somebody put a knife in my knee and pulled it right out, my knee would still never be the same. Um, Let me give you the name (laughs) of, of some chiropractors, people like that. I got another call an hour later and I was, I don't even know how they had my phone number, but I was very moved by that. And it turns out that I went to the Lakers doctor and he said, you don't have a herniated disc. You've got muscle spasms. You'll be fine in two months. And he was right. But, I guess that, you know, one of the, I wrote a, I wrote a mean column about the Raiders one day and one of the players called me at work and said, I don't, they're really, really angry. They put the column up on the bulletin board. If I were, you've always been fair to me. I just want to say, don't come in the locker room on Sunday. Hmm. So he said, I don't know what they'll do to you. Hmm. So, um, I go to the game, it's a very close game, I'm very nervous. And I remember thinking, oh, if only I'd put a pillow in my clothes, they think I was pregnant. They would never have hit a pregnant woman. Anyway, the last minute the Lakers won, I walked in, the first player that saw me said, so, you know, you think we're wimps, huh? And then he (laughs) laughed, I laughed, that was the end of it. So I had no problem with, with the Raiders. And you would have thought they would have been difficult.
0: Well, I just remember the story, Um, Susan Waldman, uh, who I need to get on the show, the great Susan Waldman. uh, She is a longtime Yankee reporter and then became a Yankee announcer. And she tells a story in 1985 of her going into the Toronto Blue Jays uh, locker room. And she tried to interview George Bell, who had hit two home runs. And George Bell refused because she was a woman and made a scene. And Jesse Barfield, who I've heard this story, and I went up covering Jesse Barfield, and I confirmed this story with him, because I had heard this when I was coming up, you know, I was an intern and such such like that. Jesse Barfield, in front of the whole team, stood up and said, I didn't hit two home runs, but I did get an RBI. You can come over and talk to me anytime. (laughs) that's great i heard that and i just thought and jesse barfield was the hitting coach of the mariners when i worked with the mariners and i just was like oh my god that story just means so much to me and i rooted for jesse barfield all the time and i never met george bell and i don't know him from a hole in the wall and i don't know what his situation was but i heard of those types of stories and that's when i was first introduced to you and i knew the time period that we're talking about there was such sexism going on that I couldn't imagine some of the things that were being thrown at you that wouldn't have been thrown to me if you and I had our roles reversed.
1: You're right. I don't know. I somehow, I was lucky, I think. Um, I don't know if it's how I presented myself. Hmm. Um, I don't know why, but they really, you know, I assume that players and sports writers probably talk behind my back but not to my face Hmm. and I usually got everything I needed. Why were they kind to me or cooperative with me? I should say, I can't even answer that question. Hmm. Um, One of the things I did learn is, you know, athletes are very competitive and they like to uh, tease each other and play tricks on each other. They, they have pretty thick skin. Anybody that comes in the locker room, they challenge including reporters. And I learned that if I could give it back, they'd leave me alone. And I did. I learned how to give it back. And I wasn't that clever. I wasn't that funny. But I think they saw I could play. And so maybe that helped me. I, I never took any of it that seriously. Um, I just said, Okay, I'm here to do my job, talk to me and I'm out of here. Mm. And um, I usually got what I wanted.
0: It's pretty amazing. Pretty amazing. Um, did you interview Heidi Fleiss?
1: I did. Oh, my goodness. What, what was that?
0: I, I told you, I did a bunch <laughs> of research. And I was, like, I was just trying to see, like, stories that I could, I could bring to this, you know. And I, like I said, we were supposed to do this podcast so long ago that I've done this research months ago. So my memory is a little shady. But what would be a circumstance that you would interview the Hollywood madam, And what was that conversation like, like, did you, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I couldn't even imagine.
1: But how you dug that up. is amazing. Um, while I always, I always was doing freelance articles. I did a lot of covers for GQ. I did work for Esquire. I think that was an Esquire piece that you're referring to. I did interviews in Playboy magazine. I did a lot oh, so you of wrote magazine. the articles
0: that everybody pretends to read.
1: <laughs> yes.
0: Come on, that was too easy. <laughs>
1: um, and <laughs> Heidi Fleiss was one of those articles I did for Esquire. And I'm I'm sorry. I, I wish I had known I would have looked it up. I don't remember my conversation with Heidi Fleiss.
0: <laughs> it was just it was just so random. Like there was other people like I could understand. So I guess the entertainment storylines when you would interview actors, that was freelance, that was outside of yes. the gig. And that's pretty cool that you were able to to uh, commandeer all that, and that, that, that's, that's pretty remarkable. Um, what was, um, what are some of your your favorites? Because obviously if I'm asking them, I'd want you to remember them. <laughs>
1: well, I can remember, um, I'm gonna, I have to, I have to start from the beginning on this story. Okay. Um, It was 1982. The Yankees had just traded Reggie Jackson to the the California Angels. I think they were called, they keep changing their name. They were the California
0: Angels then. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That was the era when naked gun was made and Reggie Jackson tried to kill the Queen of England.
1: (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Anyway, um, I had written about (laughs) Reggie in New York and now he was... In Arizona, it was spring training, and I went down there to do some some columns. And um, Reggie was always getting in trouble in New York, and he had decided that he was going to be his best behavior. He wanted to get off on the right foot and and be good to everybody. So one night, uh, another sports writer and I walked into this restaurant, um, and there was Reggie sitting at a table by himself, and he saw us, and he asked us to join him, which we did. No sooner had we sat down than this woman came over and she wanted his autograph and and she was smoking a cigarette and blowing smoke in his face. And what happened after this, the entire time Reggie was there, these people came up to him. I want you to sign six autographs. They'd push his plates aside. They'd sit on the table and Every once in a while, Reggie would flee to the men's room, I guess, to compose himself. But anyway, I'm sitting there, and I'm going, this is a column. So I'm taking notes. I write the column. The the column appears, I think, the next day. I'm back in L.A. I get to my office early. I have to do expense reports, which put me in a bad mood. And the phone rings. And I'm thinking, I'm never in the office this early. It's obviously not somebody I want to talk to. I said, hello, is this Diane Shaw? Yeah. And I'm thinking, did I have lunch? Where's, where's my receipt? You know, and I'm thinking, you know, whoever this person is, I don't care. And he said, this is Carrie Grant. Oh, get out. And I'm thinking, and I laughed. Because <laughs> I'm thinking, it's one of my friends. Because I had a couple of friends that would imitate people and leave messages on my answering machine. And he, he says, I just want to tell you how much I liked your column about Reggie Jackson. I know exactly what he was going through and he's talking. Oh, wow. and, and all of a sudden I say, well, I hear myself say, are you really Cary Grant? Yes, yes, yes. And then he keeps talking. Well, now I'm mesmerized. I, I, I keep asking him questions. I can't let him go. And I asked finally at the end, I said, I see you at Dodger Stadium sitting with Peter O'Malley in the owner's box maybe I could do a column with you about the Dodgers no 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 he said but the next time you see me come up um I want to meet you oh wow so I said all right so the next time I saw him I went up and uh shook hands and he (laughs) he, I'm sure this was a standard line he said do you have a boyfriend? And I said, well, not right now, I don't. And he said, what's wrong with the men in this town? <laughs> anyway, Cary Grant then would call me at home from time to time to usually to compliment me on something I'd written. And at wow. the same time, I was doing all these pieces for GQ. And the editor of GQ said, oh, on my wish list, Cary Grant. I said, oh, let
0: me see that's, what I can do. That's your buddy, right? That's your friend.
1: So Carrie did, he didn't want to do it. Finally we talked. I talked him into it. And it was a, a day of the at the races with Cary Grant at Hollywood Park. And the story got done. But I got to know this man and I never could get used to picking up the phone and hearing that voice.
0: You guys used to just shoot the ball like you just would talk? Yes. That's, that's so cool. <laughs> that's, pretty, that's pretty wild. <laughs> Yeah. It's pretty, it's pretty crazy. And you seem very, um, matter of fact about a lot of things that I think people who are listening to this are going to be like, wow, like you did what you did here? What? Like, like that's, (laughs) that's kind of a, a, a neat thing. And I love that reaction of yours because as someone who's been in the media for, you know, a quarter century now, it's, it's one of those things where when I tell a story, I don't like to name drop but if somebody did something and it's really funny and that guy happens to be ken griffey jr i tell the story right that's not name dropping like you're telling a cute story and that's not because you're saying nanny nanny boo-boo i know Cary grant like that's not where you're going with it and i noticed that from talking to you off the air like you're very matter of fact lazy fair about the whole thing you're like oh yeah i did this and oh yeah i did this and putting it in a book it must be so funny because you're telling stories that I'm sure you've told before, just not to a mass audience.
1: It's uh, one of the fun things. I really enjoyed writing the book. Um, it, it For me, it was like having reunions with a lot of people from my past because I'm not in touch with many of these people anymore. Some of them aren't even alive anymore. Um, so it was just always fun to to Forced me in a way to remember those days, um, and it really was a, a, I had a lot of fun um, right, you did.
0: writing it sounds, sports it sounds like it sounds <laughs> like you had a really really good time. Uh, I remember when David Wright retired. see, I was in a different position than you because I was in radio and I was in broadcasting, and even though I do some freelance writing i 'm not a reporter per se i 'm more of a broadcaster now i guess a podcaster but the idea for me was always to establish relationships and just to know these guys i didn't need to be the first guy to break the news like i i never i was taught very young uh let the the reporters break the news you just have enough knowledge about what's going on so that when the news is broken people will come to you for the analysis yeah and and that was a different mindset and when i was in my 20s I would go out with those guys, like the Mariners. And I just had somebody on my podcast, uh, one of my old uh, buddies, John Halama, was a pitcher in the uh, late 90s, early 2000s, journeyman pitcher, pitched for like nine organizations, but happened to be in Seattle. When I was in Seattle, and he's a Brooklyn kid, and I'm from New Jersey, and we hit it off, and we became friends. And it was great because I didn't need to – request his friendship like i wasn't looking for a story from him i just wanted his friendship and then when he pitched and we had to put him on the post game show that was weird you know it was it was fun it was yeah it was comfortable and it was it was neat and he wasn't a very good interviewer and he knew it but he always felt comfortable with me and that was an example and i just would imagine that as a columnist you're on top of everything but again if you found out that steve garvey was you know you know, doing coke, I'm just making up random stuff. <laughs> uh, if you found that, that he's, you're not going to betray his trust. You're not going to go, holy crap, I got to call the editor right now. This is a big story. Like, you're not going to be that. I think
1: you're wrong. Tell me. I think you're wrong. Um, I, I, I was a journalist. I wanted, I mean, if I could get a scooper or break a story, I would. Um, and I don't, I wouldn't have a problem writing that story to tell you the truth. Um, I remember, and I don't remember the details, but Dusty Baker was with the Dodgers and they found cocaine in his locker and fired him or got rid of him. And I went and did a a story with him and it was more of a sympathetic story because he was denying everything. Um, But yeah, I, I, don't, I can't remember any big story like that that I broke, um, but I would have. I would have. A model used to be a role model.
0: We have a special announcement here to make on the show, and it involves Spotify. How many of you have Spotify. You know, my daughter made us get Spotify because she wanted to listen to music. And then I found out something that really made me cool in my house. We are so excited to announce that Sports with Friends and my other podcast, Hall of Justice, is now available to stream free on Spotify. If you haven't tried listening there yet, it's free to download. Use Spotify on any device. It's a great listening experience. You go straight from listening to your favorite music, Prince, and switch right over to our podcast in the very same app. And when my phone is plugged into my car, my daughter can control the music with her app because we have the same account. Just search for our show, Sports with Friends, on Spotify and start listening free. And remember, it's totally free, even if you're not a premium member when you are in the context of the time that you were covering stuff uh electronic media is is growing television becomes a bigger thing radio becomes a bigger thing was there ever you know nowadays with the print industry the way it is and i do want to get to that um nowadays Every writer I know has a podcast or has a radio show or has Ready. a television appearance that they do. Was that something that was ever a goal of yours? Was that ever something that was intriguing to you? Or was that literally just a sign of the times that that when you were in the height of your sports writing career, you were comfortable just being behind a typewriter or a word processor or whatever you were?
1: Yes. Um, I went to Indiana University and majored in journalism. And I remember they were trying to get me to go into radio or television. And I didn't want to. Um, I really want, I loved writing. I wanted to be a real writer. And I mean, in today's world, I guess I'd look at it a lot differently. I did want to just be a writer. And also, back then, uh, probably starting in the 60s, but I was influenced by Um, what they called the new journalism, and you had Gay Talese, you had um, John Updike, these brilliant writers who would occasionally do sports. Um, New journalism to me was like fiction, but you would use real people and real facts, and so the thing back then was to write as creatively as you could, and I got a bit of that uh, towards the end. and there were times I, could, I had fun writing columns. Um, the Steve Carlton column that got a lot of attention. There was another column I wrote. It was like four o'clock in the afternoon. I didn't know what to write about. This happens sometimes when you're column. this help, help, help. And suddenly I got this idea. And that was, I couldn't watch hockey on TV. I couldn't see the puck. I don't know what was wrong with me. I couldn't Watching see the puck. Watching hockey
0: just before you called. <laughs>
1: I couldn't see the score, you know? So I wrote this column, there are no pucks in hockey. And I told the history, this of course is all made up. And I said, World War II came and there was a shortage of rubber and the US government said they couldn't use rubber for hockey pucks at that time. So what they did was they learned to pretend to be hitting a hockey puck. And they did it so well that nobody knew the difference. And when the war ended and rubber was again available, the owners got together and said, hey, we've saved a lot of money not using pucks. Let's just not use pucks. And so there are no pucks in hockey. They'll they'll have a score and then they'll get a Disney illustrator to kind of show you what what happened. Uh, um, He'll draw it. And anyway, I went on and on. And a few days later, I got a box delivered to me at the Herald Examiner from the Los Angeles Kings. And it's, it said, there was a note, Diane, there are pucks in hockey and in it was a puck. So I got my own puck. But anyway, you could do fun things like that. I'm not sure you do that anymore. Um, I could be wrong, but I think it's it's just so much um, commenting on what's happening, maybe getting an interview, which is hard to do. Um, I don't think it can have the same kind of fun. Well, And, I think, and you might note differently.
0: I think that the, the nature of the, the industry has changed. And I, one thing that I did want to ask you about is, I think print journalism is under siege. I don't think print journalism is going away, but the printed newspaper is a thing of the past. And the reality of it is, is that, Advertisers are not spending the same for digital advertising that they were for print advertising. So even though the journalism is still technically the same, it, is, uh, it, it, costs, it, it, it it earns a lot less for the newspapers. And so because of that, print journalism, reporters are making less. There's been layoffs like you would not believe. Um, yes. The guy who we had last uh, two weeks ago on the podcast, Peter Body, a, a twenty-year uh, experience, twenty years of experience in New York, and he's furloughed by the New York Post. Um, and that's part of the pandemic, but that's not part of the pandemic because the the need for news is is never been greater, and sports news too, because what's going on with these leagues and college football and 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 these sports are just, it's crazy. And you saw the New York Daily News as a shell, shell of its former self. And I'm just using that. And I remember newspapers, the Rocky Mountain News doesn't exist anymore. And the Seattle uh, Post-Intelligencer doesn't uh, exist anymore. And the, the newspaper that you worked for, I don't believe exists no, anymore. No, that's gone. <laughs> right, it's gone. And I think that what's happened is, I think it's harder now for a print journalist. Because if you're a young kid and you were starting out in the business... You could have a blog. You're not going to make any money, but you'll right. you, could, you could get your stuff out there. But right. the 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 pool it, it's so finite, and there's so few jobs. And you know, radio is under siege as well. Um, television has been under siege. There's been massive layoffs at NBC and all the regional sports networks. There. I mean, it's it's an awful industry right now. And what I find is, I don't think really good writers are being lured into sports journalism the way you were. No,
1: you're, you're absolutely right. Everything has changed a great deal. Um, a, a friend of mine out in Los Angeles uh, who writes for The Athletic was telling me the day that Kobe Bryant died, mm-hmm. um, reporters sort of went to the um, Staples Center. There were Lakers there but they couldn't get to any of the Lakers because the Lakers had social media. They could express themselves without the Mm -hmm. reporters. And I was thinking if it were back in my day. The media was so embarrassing that
0: day. The media was so embarrassing that day.
1: Well, yes. But I was thinking that if it were the eighties, I would have gotten in there. I would have, I would have found a Laker to talk to me. It doesn't happen that way anymore. And so it's a whole different kind of craft. And as a, a young writer, I probably wouldn't have gone in the same direction. I wouldn't have because who's gonna hire me? Um, there's, <laughs> there's not too many pe- papers left. So I probably would have gone into television at that point. Um,
0: and your friend that works for media, The Athletic, do you, do you think The Athletic model, The Athletic is is extraordinary journalism and I am a proud subscriber and I tell people, I pay whatever the annual price is, I pay the price. Uh, For the athletic because I think it's worth it. That's my personal choice. Do you think that model works? Do you think most people want to pay fees to have sports news sent to them?
1: I don't know if that's different than the fees we pay for Netflix and Amazon TV, you know, all that. Um, Mm -hmm. For me, and again, I'm out of the business. Most of that stuff I'm not interested in reading anyway. Um back when I was writing, I you know, I would read the local papers, sports illustrator was so important and talk about brilliant writing, it was there. Um so those were or I would read the you know the New York Times and the and the New York Papers. Um you don't do that now. And so um I think the skill set to be a sports writer or a sports reporter today is much different.
0: I I can, I can just, uh, imagine, um, one aspect of the female experience, and this was something that I was very, very aware of back in the day. Um, I've told the story where, uh, I remember working, uh, hosting a show at a, at a home run Derby. <laughs> and I knew that one of the producers that we had, I'm not saying the year cause I'm not outing this person, uh, was sleeping with a bunch of baseball players and funny how it happened. Those baseball players were all guests on our show during the home run derby. I have seen women who come into the locker room or come onto the field wearing, if if I may be so frank, the sluttiest outfits I've ever seen. And it's trying to get players attention. And You don't come off as somebody who did that in any way, shape, or form. And like I said, I've done my research on you, and I've researched all of these things. And I'm not saying that by any stretch of my stereotyping that that is all women because there are so many wonderful women journalists. But women like that give women journalists a really bad name. And I see it all the time. I wonder, did you see it at the same time? And did you ever resent that they were getting as much attention by putting themselves out there like that and while you were doing it because you were a goddamn good column writer um i didn't see that much of
1: it seth because there weren't very many women at the time um Hmm. i always felt i always dressed conservatively my thinking was i'm the only woman in the locker room they're going to notice me really doesn't matter what I wear, they're gonna notice me. <laughs> and um, I didn't think I would be taken seriously if I dressed provocatively. And it was very important to me that I was taken seriously. Um, I remember one story, I don't remember all the details, but um, the New York Times was doing a survey of all the baseball players and some, I don't remember what the subject was. And they sent a young woman to the Yankees locker room to get their opinions. And she clearly had wasn't a sports writer and had never been in this kind of environment. She was dressed very provocatively, mm-hmm. and apparently she also sat down in a chair. And as you may know, we're not allowed to sit down in their furn- on their furniture. Um, in a locker at least room?
0: No, you're not. supposed
1: to. my yes, it's and she did. And I don't remember all the details, but Billy Martin, who was the manager of the Yankees, threw her out. Well, he got, he was lambasted. What are you doing? Women can go in the locker room. How can you do this? You're a terrible person, blah, 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 blah. Later that year, maybe early the next year, I happened to see Billy and I was sitting next to him in the dugout. And I said, what was that all about? And he said, Diane, he said, you know how I treat you. You come in the locker room, we talk, there's no problems. And he laid out how, he, how objectionable he found this young woman. Mm-hmm. Um, that was pretty much all that I saw. Um, they were just beginning to hire women for TV sports shows. And what was embarrassing to me was that most of them didn't know anything about sports. Right. They were pretty but they didn't know sports. So it took a while. Now we have great, great knowledgeable women on sports shows and talk about how, how you look or how you dress, who, who's regarded more highly than Doris Burke of the NBA.
0: She's a a wizard. Yeah. She's so good. We just had her partner, Ryan Rucco, which is just on the podcast a couple of months ago. So I don't know
1: if these women that you're describing, if it helps them get an interview, I, I have no idea. But I don't think that they will be respected.
0: Hmm. And it's, uh, it's definitely something, something to that. Um, it's, pretty, it's pretty fascinating. Uh, once again, uh, we're going to put the link uh, to the book in the show notes. The book is called A Farewell to Arms, Legs, and jockstraps. And hopefully you don't have too many of uh, the jockstraps saved. I would hope you don't save those. Uh, <laughs> um, and you told me off the air, but you're not a big fan of social media. Uh, you didn't want to jump on that to help uh, push the book?
1: I know. Isn't that awful? I just, I'm kind Did of a your publisher person? say, come
0: on, Diane, what are you doing?
1: Well, they gave up. Um, and you're right. It was terrible. I should have done it. I've just always been very private. I'm not on Facebook. How many people in the world are on Facebook? Um, I know
0: I looked for you. I I did look for you. Like I said, I was looking for any information or anything and it was so random. You don't, you're not, um, you you don't put yourself out there.
1: Well, you've given me something to think about.
0: Ah, okay. I'll be your inspiration. There you go. Yes. Um, uh, How have you been with the coronavirus and and everything that's been going on? Have you been safe? Uh, Is your family safe? And how has been your your quarantine situation? I usually ask that in the beginning, but like I said, I wanted people to get a break from from COVID. There's been so much of that.
1: (laughs) Well, uh, I've been very lucky. I've had no problems. I live in Manhattan. I go out every day for a walk, sometimes Central Park, sometimes just up and down the streets. Um, I'm happy to report that most of the people I see are wearing masks, which I believe in. Yep. Um, I know a couple people that had the virus. Um, both are actually three people. They're all OK now. Okay. Um, I would really like to be able to get on an airplane and go somewhere, but I'm not quite ready to do that. <laughs> and I was so excited a couple of weeks ago when they started with baseball. And if, if they don't have football, I'm going to hibernate. I'm just going to go to sleep for five or six months because I don't know what I'll do on Sunday afternoon if I can't get football.
0: You know, I, I, I understand that. I understand that perspective. I don't know how they can do it safely.
1: I don't either.
0: And what I, what I have noticed is when I'm watching a sport where the players are in isolation, I relax and I don't think about it and I just enjoy the sport for what it is. I'm a huge hockey fan and uh, I've watched, uh, I think the NHL uh, playoff system has been great in their, their bubble system. I mean, they, they have thought of everything. Uh, the NBA, I think, has been great. The only difference in the NBA, and I've said this on the air a lot, the NBA is restarted their regular season and they don't put a lot of value in their regular season. So it's the right. games aren't important yet. And there have been players that have taken off and I don't blame the players for taking off. What I blame the players for is if your regular season is so uh, irrelevant that your best players are in a bubble and still are taking days off. I don't get it. <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't understand that. Um, yeah but baseball i was against baseball ever starting um i don't think that sport uh is really being responsible they're not enforcing their own rules um they've had players that are free and on this podcast i will tell you a former outfielder tory hunter and i asked him i said uh and I, you might not know this joke but my audience will uh and that is um i asked tory hunter i said do you think the players will respect the quarantine rules And he said, quarantine, he said, half the clubhouse is going to be on Tinder during the national anthem. (laughs) Once I heard that, like, I, I just was like, this is not, this is not right. Like, this doesn't feel right. And baseball has a collective bargaining agreement that expires at the end of next year. And I think they have some real problems and they should have bagged this season, blamed it on COVID and people would have been mad. I understand people would have been mad, but not as mad as they're going to be next year when the owners and players are fighting and you've covered strikes and you know how ugly that gets. Could you imagine we're finally past this pandemic and there's no baseball because of greed? They would have been they'll be so angry, they'll never forgive them. Whereas if they had shut it down now and gotten to work. I'm not saying shut it down and just stay at home and watch Netflix. Go to work and fix your sport. And they, they didn't do that. The NFL is trying. I don't know how they're going to do it. I, I honestly I don't, don't know. And I, 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 don't. Think, I think it's a mistake that they're not playing a preseason game because I need, they need to practice. They need to practice Somebody not just the hurt. football, the, yeah. but practice the travel. What's, what's travel like in COVID times and what's it going to be like on the airplanes and what, just try all that. And I think they're afraid to have uh, preseason games because they're worried of an outbreak and that they won't get their regular season. And they're just trying to delay the inevitable. And I, I am very fearful, but I have a, a, an invite. I'm supposed to go to training camp on Sunday and I'm just, I don't feel right doing it at all.
1: Well, wear your mask. (laughs)
0: Don't worry I I plan to Uh, You know, it's so funny We usually end the podcast By giving out all your social media information And I usually end by saying You know, if you have any issues With anything that you heard in this episode Reach out to Diane directly But (laughs) there is literally no way to reach her So too bad I am. Thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. And again, good luck with the book. I know it was released right during this pandemic, so uh, people can still find it. However, you can get books. We'll put the Amazon link uh, in the show notes. A farewell to arms, legs, and jockstraps. Congratulations on it.
1: Thank you so much.
0: That's Diane Shaw. Thank you for listening. Thank you for subscribing. Once again, this is episode 261 of Sports with Friends. We'll be back next week and try to make sense of something else going on in sports. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next week. If you want me to stay, I'll be around today to be available for you to see. I'm about to. Stay here. I got to be me. You'll never be in doubt. That's what it's all about. You can't take me for granted and smile. Come and please, I'm gone. Forget reaching me by phone because I promise I'll be gone for a while. When you see me again, I hope that you have been the kind of person. Jay